Well, you can see it there, can't you, in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And we don't know anything about this fellow except that he's stressed out. It would take a lot, wouldn't it, to march up to a public figure and say, I need you to sort my finances out. He feels desperate. The pressure of his money has been coming down on him. He sees a possible way out, which is a bit more justice in the family. But it's been weighing on his mind. It infects his day. It affects the way that he feels about his kids. It affects the way he responds to his partner. All of that, and it weighs heavy upon him. He's got that financial angst. It's that sinking feeling. It's anxiety. Have you noticed how when you get anxious about something, the whole feel and flavour of the day changes? Have you noticed that? And you want to be nice to your kids, but you can't. And you want to speak politely, but it just takes something because you've got that weight pressing down on you. And here's a guy with a massive weight pressing down on him, sucking out the good stuff of life. He can't move past it. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's paying a bill. Maybe it's something that he he promised himself or somebody else that now he's struggling to get. Perhaps he'd set his hope on something. Perhaps he wanted to impress somebody. Perhaps he's worried about what people will think about him. Perhaps he's worried that his property will get taken off him. Perhaps he's worried that his life plan and the script he's got won't work, but he's so full of anxiety about it, he goes to Jesus. Ten out of ten. Good place to start. But the problem is, when you're like that, and you'll know this, The problem is, when you like that, it sort of blinds you as to what is the best answer to your problem. If you've got a pressing anxiety, you tend to feel that the very best thing that you could get in that moment is simply that anxiety removed. And maybe it is. Maybe that is a good thing. But is it the best thing? This poor fella hadn't spotted that there is actually a better thing for him than getting his brother to share the inheritance. I wonder whether you've ever spotted that there are better things that you can have for your life than your immediate problem dealt with. Have you ever spotted that? The problem is, is when we're in the middle of that, you can't see further from it. It's like, it's like when I get injured or something like that, and I get, I don't know, I get a splinter. All I can see is get that splinter out and life will be fine. I can't see that there could actually be better things than in life than maybe living splinter-free. If I'm under debt and under the pressure, I can't see anything that there's actually more valuable stuff in life than being debt-free. And being debt-free is a great thing to be, don't get me wrong, but there's bigger and better things. And the bigger and better thing is staring, eyeballing this guy. Verse 14, can you see it there? Jesus is the bigger and better thing. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, the the answer is right in front of this fella, but it's not what he thinks it is. He's blinkered. You see, we're really bad at that, aren't we? When we're struggling, all we can see is our solution to the problem. But Jesus says, look, you've come to me to be an arbiter to give you what you want, but I'm determined to give you, not just be just an arbiter, I'm determined to be the answer for you. And that's massive. Now, I love this about the Lord Jesus. He does this all the time, and it's so infuriating. People come to him for one thing, and he gives them more than they asked for. I mean, how rude. Some people come to him merely, merely for a blessing. And he says, you know what, I'll give you better than that. I'll give you the blesser. I'll come and take the precedence in your life. Some people come to familiar healing. He says, do you know what, that's fine, but do you know what, you come near me, I'm not just going to give you a healing, I'm going to give you wholeness. Some people came for uh, some sort of uh, resuscitation of somebody who was very, very ill, and in fact was dying, and he says, well, actually, I'm going to give you more than resuscitation, I'm going to give you a resurrection. When you come near to Jesus, he will give you better than what you want, because your problem with mine is we're very bad at seeing what we need. We shrink our worlds and our horizons to the size of our problems. And he says, there's a bigger world out there, especially when I'm standing there. So please, I don't know what brought you along here today, but can I tell you, Jesus won't let you out of here without offering you more than you came for. Is that exciting or what? 
Let's keep going. This is great, okay? So here we go. Dudes, you've got a bigger problem than you can see, says the Lord Jesus. I don't, don't think he's said the dude bit. Um, and we can see it here. It feels to him like he's living in the shadow of his death, but he's actually living with a bigger shadow over his heart that is affecting all parts of his life. It's the root cause of his anxiety, and it's bigger than the fact he can't get his brother to do what he wants him to do. It's giving him fear, you know, from breakfast through to tea, it's affecting him, it's making him blame others, even curse others. If it wasn't for them, I'd be alright. It sort of skews his way of looking at things. And what is it? Well, Jesus says it there in verse 13, it's greed. It's greed. Now what is greed? Do you know what greed is? Greed is an excess concern for, worry about, love of, and need for stuff. Money. And what money can buy. Have you noticed how most of you here don't love money? You love the stuff that money provides, don't you? And we're going to, oh, I'll tell you what, we're going to take those things apart piece by piece in the coming minutes. But this guy has got greed. And it's really cool what Jesus says it, because he exposes what greed does to you. There's two things here that greed does to you. It sneaks up on you and it robs you. Let me read the verse again and see whether you can spot it. Okay, we're in verse... 15, then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because it sneaks up on you. You're only on your guard and it sneaks up on you. And second of all, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, if you think it does, you're being robbed. So let's have a look at those two things separately. First of all, it sneaks up on you. You see, greed isn't like other ways in which we turn against God. Because it's more sneaky than that. You see, I, I don't tend to find myself with a big steel bar in my hand beating somebody to death going, oh, oh, I'm murdering somebody. I don't find myself in bed with somebody who's not my wife suddenly going, oh, you're not my wife. You see, most of the things that we do against God, we can, we can spot them. They don't sneak up on us. But greed, slides by there, doesn't it? It just gets in. And before you realise it, you're living greedily. You're living as if stuff is the answer to your problems. Or what your money can provide for you is the answer to your problems. That's greed. And the problem is, and some of you, you've heard sermons on this kind of thing before, you've even read the Bible, and you're like, right, mustn't be greedy. And for a period in your life, you've managed to, to be on your guard, but they're like the weeds in my lawn. No matter how many times I rip it out, guess what happens? It keeps. So that idea of being on guard is being on guard all the time. Because greed slips past security all the time. It just sneaks on in there. It disguises itself. It seems so reasonable. Oh, I'll just go and blast some money off on that because, well, I need, it. I need a bit of retail therapy. Or, well, they've got one over there. It doesn't really matter, does it? Oh, I'm not extravagant. It's okay. And we can reason away, but it just sneaks in there. And we're always the last one to realise we're greedy, aren't we? So if I was to do a survey on the way in here, and said, right, which one of you is a greedy? Who's greedy here? My bet is that nobody would have put their hand up. Except possibly me, because I'm the one who's been reading the Bible all week, and this one's been doing a number on me. And I'll be like, yeah, hello, me. It's not helped by the fact that our culture is a consumer society where they pump in billions to tell you to be greedy. Life is found in getting more stuff. The whole economy is based on the idea that they need you to spend to get out of trouble. I'm not greedy. It sneaks up on us. I'm not greedy. I'm not extravagant. I just like a few little luxuries. I don't squander stuff. And it blinds me. Now listen, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I think it's obvious when we hear about this. I just want you not to trust yourself. Don't trust you. Here's a great reason why church is so precious and important, isn't it? Because some things that we want and grab a hold of our heart, they grab hold of us so much, we can't even see there's an issue. We need people around us who love us enough and are gentle with us and patient with us enough who can say, uh, what's that? 
What's going on there? See, don't trust yourself. You see, that greed is a joy stealer. Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. Something is trying to get you and it will ruin you. It will leave you anxious, it will leave you fearful and what's more, it will rob you. But we'll come to that in just a minute. I just want to tell you, it's so hard. Me and Jay, my wife, we can talk about an awful lot of things. But when it comes to our household budget, we have to be on our guard. Because the stuff I want, that I can justify, and it's precious to me, and she can point her finger and go, what's all that about? What's going on there? And in the same way, I can see stuff that is precious to her, and she's quite happy to put money into it for it. And I'm like, what's all that about? And we know that it's like, what? Shields up whenever we have a discussion about money, because we're protecting our turf. She protects hers, I protect mine. So, oh, we had to, to make a decision not so long ago. Whenever we go on date night, don't talk money. Don't. The number of times we've been driving into town to go to a nice restaurant, and before we've even get, got there, it's like, because we dared because that's the power that money has on us do you want money to have that amount of power that it can control date night no and Jesus says be on your guard don't trust yourselves you need help it's sneaky but secondly it robs you it robs you and we've all heard that phrase haven't we money can't buy happiness does anybody agree that that's true money can't buy happiness you bunch of liars! Because you do believe it, don't you? Otherwise, you want to spend on what you spend on. Of course, we know logically that money can't buy you happiness, but you think that's true for everybody else except you. And how much money you chuck down the pan because of it. It robs you. Verse 15b, let's have a look. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, but Hello Magazine, the Royal Wedding, all the soaps we watch, the, the MTV lifestyle says, yes it is! And when I ask you that question, you know, money can't buy happiness, you, we still think it can. Greed tells you the lies about what life, where life is really found. If you have this, or if you have that, then that is living. I can face the day, I can feel strong, I can face myself, I can face my past and my future, I can be satisfied, I can be happy, I will be worth something if I get that, because you're worth... Genius of an advertising campaign that, wasn't it? Because every time, hook, line and sinker, because I'm worth it if I spend that, what, £1.50? What is it? Not pants, can you? Excuse me. I'm, I'm getting so anxious, I'm, I'm like, burping. L'Oreal, that's it. See, that's what it has effect on me. Right, here we go. And here's Jesus. He's the guy, if you don't know, who wired the universe. Jesus isn't just a nice old prophet. He's not a guru. He's not somebody you should simply be listened to. According to the Bible, all things were made by him and for him. He is God, come in a skin, and he's telling this brother here, straight up, listen, life is not found in your stuff. If you want life and depth and meaning and joy and beauty and purpose, it's not found in your stuff. It will give you a momentary buzz, but it will only leave you gasping for more because life isn't found there. I don't know how many times you need to wash your hair to actually feel worth it, but I've never actually uh, found somebody who at the end of the bottle did feel worth it. Life isn't found in degrees, it's not found in safety, it's not found in cars, it's not found in houses, it's not found in bank accounts, it's not found in clothes, it's not found in bottles, it's not found in lip gloss and it's not found in nights out, is it? Is it? And each time we live as if it does, we get robbed. And the Lord Jesus says, watch out, don't be robbed. Don't be robbed. Think about how much time and energy and initiative we spend trying to get this or buy that. We say to ourselves, if we could just get a little bit more, or a bit of that, we could make this happen or make that problem go away. 
and life would be better. And we use all that energy, don't we? That energy that was actually given to us by God as a gift to use for other things just gets turned inwards on us. And even if we do break into the bank and get what we so desire, we find that the vault is empty. And Jesus says, you need a better answer than that. You are willingly, when you give in to greed, willingly being snuck up on, and I use a really tough word here, you're being raped. Of your dignity, your life, your potential, your joy that God wants you to have. And I'm saying that that's strong because I just want you to be angry. I really do. I want you to be utterly dissatisfied. I wonder whether that's what that fellow felt as he, as he stood there and Jesus said that to him. Jesus wanted to leave him saying, there's got to be another way. There's got to be something that lifts my burdens and doesn't make me more of a slave. There's got to be something. And if you've been around the Bible long enough, you'll know that Jesus never ever creates a need without coming and saying, I will meet it in abundance. I will, I'll get you out. You don't need my advice to do this. You're going to need me to do this for you. That's why the Christian message is such good news. The Christian message isn't, this is a bad way to live, this is a good way to live, pick. That's not good news, that's the best good advice. The Christian message is of Jesus coming and giving himself to us so that we can be put back together again. And you're wondering why there aren't more people from speaking. If only they knew, they'd all be in here saying, quick, tell me how Jesus can lift me out of my mess. But he's going to take them a bit deeper. Are you ready for this? Some of you are really worried because we've only done three verses and I'm already halfway through my time. Don't worry, we're going to pick up speed. It's okay, don't panic. Jesus takes this guy a little bit deeper. And he takes out, this is one of the most famous parables. Can you see it there? It starts at verse 16. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This, says Jesus, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now let me tell you a secret about the parables. I love the way the Lord Jesus does this. This is a masterclass in pastoral care. He sees somebody with issues, then he tells them a story, a parable, uh, that hasn't got the person's name in it, but... It's a general enough story that it could be anyone, but guess who it really is? Him. And he gets him round the back. He tells this story to say, this is Mr. Everyman, or Mrs. Anywoman. In other words, you and me. So, I'm telling you straight up, he's sort of like doing it in the third person, but guess whose case he's getting on? You and me. What is this person like? What is everybody like? Well, this person is an investor. Have you noticed that? They've got stuff, they've got potential, they've got time, they've got ability, they've got opportunity, and they're going to invest it in something. And for this guy, it's in the farming industry, and he's busy storing up and gaining stuff. What will he do with what he's got? Everybody gets stuff. Everybody's got opportunity. Everybody's got time. What will we do with our stuff? Where will we invest it? We're going to put it into something. We're going to give our, our heart and emotional energy to something, aren't we? We will give it to something. The question is, what will it be? Where's the good life found? But the interesting thing with this fellow is by the end of it, the verdict, and this is scary, isn't it? The verdict from heaven is... You fool. Every human being with a pulse, it will invest and store up somewhere, in some project, in something that they think is life. 
But there are some things that we invest in that get to the verdict, idiot. Can you think of, I mean, we, we, we have this mixture of words, don't we, so that even in our culture, if I say, that's wicked, I can, it can mean either way, can't it? It can mean, wicked cool. No. <laughs> or, wicked, that disgusting, terrible, horrendous. But if you notice, you won't find a culture anywhere where if you get called a fool, it's a good thing. It's about as low as you can be described as. A fool in the Bible is always the last to know they're a fool. Everybody else spots it. And so here he does, he takes us to this. And why? Why is it that he's a fool? What mistakes does he make? Well, mistake number one, we, we can go through this, but mistake number one is he invests in the wrong treasure. Now, I often like to refer to the Lord of the Rings here. I just like the Lord of the Rings films. I can't help it. But the Lord of the Rings is all about this super-duper ring of power which is a bit tainted with wickedness. And people want to get a hold of it because it promises them the world. And whenever anybody gets a hold of this ring, it doesn't leave them the same as they were. It sort of twists them and changes them a little bit. So much so that by the end of it, whenever they get the ring, it's not just a ring to them. It's something they keep really near. They put it here like this. They go like that. And they call it something. Who can remember what it gets called? Precious. And you can all hear, well, for those of you who've seen the film, you can hear Gollum saying it in a really twisty way. My precious. But to him, he will give anything for it. He will not do good, right stuff, because if he does, it will sacrifice his precious. He is prepared to travel distances to get hold of his precious. He will be totally turned inwards on himself to keep his precious. So what, well that's a treasure isn't it, it's a precious. What you invest in, what you store up in, what you plan for shows you what is precious, what is your treasure. It's interesting in the Bible that treasure language is associated with worship. Do you know the stuff you can worship other than God? In fact, you can worship stuff. Because to worship is to ascribe ultimate value. To say that is the thing where life is found and will, uh, when you go to it, you'll get life. That's what it means. So, I, my assumption here is that when we come here on a Sunday morning, we say, actually, could it be that the true God of heaven and earth is of ultimate value and ultimately when I'm near him and got him, I have got life? If that's the case, brilliant! That's what we're supposed to be here doing. When we're supposed to let that spill out into all of our lives, if you're a Christian, you're saying, in every area of my life, he gets ultimate value, but the difficulty is, is that through the week, we slip back to other little precious things, don't we? And I just want to speak to the people who are believers here, and I just want to challenge you on a few things on this, and just, just point out how this works. Because the Bible tells us that we can look at what we do and how we spend, and it will tell you what your precious is. Whether or not it is the true God of heaven or not, or whether it's something else. So if you find it really hard to give your stuff to people who are in need, but very easy to buy clothes, What's your precious? Where are you storing it? What's in your barn? Well, it's probably not the money. It's not that the money's that precious to you. But it's what the money buys. It buys the nice clothes. And we believe that our clothes will give us an image, will get us an attention, get us the compliment that we crave, that will give us satisfaction. So in many ways, what are we saying? Is the love of God our precious? Our treasure? The thing that we go through for life? Or is it? Rags. Try another one. If you find it difficult to give money for gospel work, for example, but easy to put it into your house, what is it you're treasuring there? What are you trying to store? Where, what are you putting? Where is your storehouse? Where's the thing that will provide for you? What are you saying? It could be your car. Or perhaps you're saying this. Perhaps you're saying, look, I can live here and I can be secure here, and by having this kind of house that is this neat, with all those kind of things, it makes me look as if I'm somebody who's got it together. As if I'm held together. Or it could be that it's just, I just like nice stuff. I just really nice stuff, because it makes me feel valuable. 
And it's not God that's making you feel valuable, it's not his love poured out on you. And you're getting lost. You're looking for significance and status in your stuff. And then I know as well that there's people sitting here who are like, oh, that's disgusting. Because that's just what we say about everything and speak, isn't it? That's disgusting. And you're somebody who perhaps finds it easier not to go out and impulse buy, or you find it easier not to sort of uh, put, spend your money on your house or your property or buy that car, whatever it is. And you're somebody who lives really frugally. And if people to look at you, they'd say they're really managing their money well. You look down on people who do waste money, and what you do is you hoard it, and you pile it into the barns, and then what you do is you pull out your bank statements once a month, and you check how much you're up to, and you keep in a tally. And then you check the financial times, and you see how the money market's going, and making sure I've got it all in place. And you find it very difficult to give, because you've got to keep that nest egg together, because your nest egg is going to be what keeps you safe in the future. You don't want God to be in charge and in control. You want to bulletproof your future and your life by your nest egg. That's just another form of greed, isn't it? You see, you can't bulletproof your life. It doesn't work, does it? How can you bulletproof your life against credit crunches, against cancer, and against road traffic accidents? You cannot, can you? And all the way through this, as I take those examples here, we're supposed to see that this poor guy here was investing as you and I will invest. And we've been all the time to pull out the calculator. Was that a worthwhile investment compared with the riches of having God? All of those investments will make you turn inwards to you, so your life gets shrunk down. But when you invest as God would have you invest... You use his stuff, and it bears fruit, not just in your life, but in the life of others. What other mistakes did he make? Well, he missed, uh, he missed the trap of wrong investments here. I wasn't quite sure. I was possibly going to say this. This is about, you know, uh, about a tolerance level. Okay, have you notice how this poor guy, he always needed to build bigger and bigger and bigger barns. Do you notice that? So once he got a barn of one size, it wasn't quite big. He needed to press on. Right at the end he says, ah, he's about to die. He's like, ah, oh, I've got it all now. Now I'm going to go and enjoy it. But have you noticed how enough, when you're greedy, and when you've got greed at work in your life, which I have, when you've got greed at work in your life, it changes the definition of the word enough. The word enough changes from being defined as enough to being defined as need more. Have you noticed how in the UK we all, virtually everybody lives just a little bit beyond their means. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how sort of things that become luxuries, we will manage on a certain amount of income for a while, and then maybe we'll have a little bit more, and we get a luxury, and then we start to get used to it, and then the idea of letting go of the luxury is, well, unbearable. So it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like any kind of addiction, I suppose. It's a little bit like if you're wanting a drink to do it for you, to start off with, a couple of drinks will do it, but then as time goes by, to get the same effect, you need more, and you need more, and you need more, and suddenly, it's got a hold of you. And the idea of breaking free of it is not an impossible. So let me give you an example. Uh, when I go away on holiday, I speak at a church, it's in, it's in Spain, it's where we go, they, they regularly get me speaking through the summer when I'm not here. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I was speaking about issues of what had got a hold of people. I was speaking to some of the, the members of the congregation about what they use their money for. I just asked them, I said, well, how much of your money do you use to serve others, be generous, and, and, he, uh, and help the, the gospel message go forward? Uh, 5%, 10%? Oh, oh, no, it's too tight. What about 5%? No, I couldn't manage that. I couldn't get by if I gave away 5% of my money. You're telling me you, you, you wouldn't be able to manage if you reduced your disposable income by 5%? No, no chance. Two times. I'm back last year, and I don't know whether you know, but the exchange rate has changed between Spain and the UK, so much so that now people who are living out there off pensions, the pension used to be, and the exchange rate used to be about one and a half pounds to a euro, it's now dropped to about 1.1. 1 .1. 
which basically means that as the pension goes over there, by the time it goes from England to Spain, it is automatically reduced by a third. 33% is knocked off. And I went back to the same people. I said, how are you doing? This must be so hard for you. They said, well, you know, you cut your clock accordingly. Do you see what was going on there? Luxuries have become necessities. And we tell ourselves we have to have them. Because the nature of stuff always wants more. Another one. I'm going to have to cut one out here. Let's have a think. Oh yeah, this is a good... Right, verse 20. Look at verse 20 here. Can you see this? But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded of from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Have you noticed that it, what he hadn't spotted? He hadn't spotted that his stuff was on loan to him. He'd only got it for a certain length of time. And at the end, it, so he was the one who was passing through, not his stuff. So, so why is that so important? All his stuff wasn't given him to store up for himself. It was given to him to use. The question is, how would he use it? Now the Bible teaches us that everything we have is given to us by God to use in line with his good purposes, to fulfil his vision. Now I realise that's quite hard for some of you, because some of you are sitting there and going, oh, but I worked hard for what I've got. Yeah. But who gave you the opportunities? Who made you to be born in this place? Who gave you the skills and the abilities? And I don't care how hard you worked, if you were born in Libya a a thousand years ago, you wouldn't have a dishwasher. You wouldn't have a Morrison's round the corner. You wouldn't have frozen foods. You wouldn't have access to those little things with four wheels and a steering wheel that get you about. Do you see, all, so much of our stuff has been given to us, and I do hope you do work hard, but no matter how, how hard you work, you need to realise that the opportunities, the situations, the circumstances, your very health, your ability to create wealth, has been given you as a gift that wasn't supposed to terminate on you. Have you noticed, you know, um, what's mine's mine and what's mine's my own? We have this mentality, don't we, that mine is mine and I might give some of mine away. And God says, uh-uh, everything is mine. I've let you look after a little bit in this life for me. And you're sitting there going, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's like my little kids at Easter. We give them these beautiful chocolate eggs. And they come running up, Daddy, thank you so much. You have freely given me this chocolate egg. It's all from you. Thank you. You love me enough to give it to you. Five minutes later, I tiptoe in, sit, sit down next to him. Any chance I could have a little bit of it? No, it's mine! And you and me, we do that with God. I showed John this. I didn't show John Sorry, this uh, Earlier this week, as so I was reading through this, I pulled out my debit card. HSBC, I'm not going to tell you the number. In fact, I wish I got it in my bag. And I wrote on it, property of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you what, that makes a difference. I was going with nervousness and trepidation to the man with the nice machine and he was sitting in Costco and he was like, he picks it up, look, freak. <laughs> Puts it in the machine, but then I'm like, am I using what I've been given by God wisely here? Am I using it for his purposes, which is to flourish? The reason he gives stuff to you and me is not so you can build your little kingdom. It's so that he can use you. You get drawn into his purposes of building his gracious kingdom where people's burdens are lifted, where hope is restored, where lives are put back together, where the gospel is heard, where people meet Jesus. That's why you've got stuff. It's not for you, purely. Of course we get to enjoy it and that's good. We get to enjoy generosity. But wouldn't it be terrible if we lived like my kids on an Easter egg? Terrible. You know, I used to... Um, I, I, well, I've noticed this trend about myself recently. is Whenever I get something nice, I immediately spot whether other people have got it or not. So me and Jane, we saved up for new railings on the front of our house. Suddenly, when I walk down the street, I'm checking out everybody's railings. 
Then I get a new mower and I start mowing my lawn regularly. I'm walking down the street and I'm like... But shall I tell you the one that was worse for me? It was plan envy. On our fourth baby, we realised we needed a better pram. Mainly because everybody else had got them. You idiots who go and buy mamas and papas, you've been hook, line and sinker. But we couldn't afford a posh pram. So, Jane's sister, who's got a bit more to rub together than we have, they lent us their quinny. Now, for those of you who haven't got kids, you're like, what? Mercedes. And we would happily... uh, you know, on the old pushchair, you can push it, woman. But on this pushchair, when we go down the retail park, Daddy's pushing this one, baby. <laughs> and I would march around the retail park, eyeing up everybody else's lesser models, cursing anybody who got a better, newer one, marching around with my quinny that had been given to me for free. I thought I was somebody because I got a quinny. And it had all been given to me. Who should I have been thinking was great? Me? Well, I'll just Have you noticed how stupid we are? Have you noticed how desperate we are to have somebody or something say, you're worth it? And the Lord Jesus comes to them and says, do you know what? I need to give you, this fellow here, this brother, I need to give you a better answer than the one you lot are scratching around for. Is he right? Of course he is. I've had to miss stuff out, but we're going to, ju- we're going to jump on and see what this is, because I need to finish soon. I need to tell you where, it, where the good news comes. So give me a second to find me in my notes. Here we go. Right. Look, this is it. Can you see it there towards the end of verse 20? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Oh yeah, that's the one. I can't miss that one out. Have you noticed that this is... The Lord God will always give you what you want, and I find that frightening. Because if we are people who have a tendency to want the wrong things in life and the wrong things from God, we are stuffed. And that night, God came to this guy and says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. We don't know quite what that would look like. It's only a parable. Basically saying, I have in my hands the power of your life and death. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, this life and the choices that we make and what we will invest our life in have long-term implications that God respects. Isn't that frightening? So if you spend your life investing in stuff here and now, God will say, fair enough. You've chosen your bed, now sleep in it. But if you're not rich towards me, and you're trying to find life in things other than me, I will give you what you ask for, and that is called a lost eternity. And if there is one thing that Jesus shouted more than anything else, it was this. Avoid that at all costs. Only eternity will reveal how empty an eternity without God is. Ultimately, this guy wasted his life. And it's at that point that Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up with things for himself but he's not rich towards God. What does the Lord Jesus want us to do? And it's a beautiful phrase. You're going to try and get rich somewhere. You're going to try and find your value, your hope, your treasure, put your preciousness somewhere. Make it with God. Can I ask you, are you rich towards God? Can I tell you what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you have got enough credit with God because of your behaviour, because of your good deeds, because of your good money management, because of your church attendance, because of your Bible reading, because you're not as bad as the person next to you. That's not what it means to, have I got credit in the bank to show God so that he will give me the thumbs up? That's religion, that's not the Christian message. The Christian message is, are you rich towards God because you have received his riches that he freely gives? Do you see the difference? Religion says, I give a meritable amount, a treasure. I become a treasure for God. And he says, well, I'll pick you. That isn't the Christian message at all. The Christian message is, you have robbed yourself and robbed me, and I know what you're like, but I'm going to lavish on you a set of riches beyond your wildest dream that only eternity will reveal. Which one's good news? That one will crush you. 
that one will change your life. And so what does he say? Like, I've got to summarise it really quickly because we're running shy of time here. Okay? Well, uh, how, does, how does he summarise it here? Well, he takes us through, and I'd like to, be to spend at least three weeks on this, but I'll have to try and do it in five minutes. Can you see it here? In verses 22 through to 26, where are we? He talks about not worrying. Then, the disciple, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, which back then were flying rats. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, yet God feeds them. And don't miss that next sentence. How much more valuable you are than birds. Can I ask you, does your car think you're valuable? Does your lipstick think you're valuable? All these other things that we treasure and give our hearts to, do they think you're valuable? God says, you're valuable to me and I know what you need. And half of you have been praying for this and this and this and the only reason I haven't given it to you is because it will kill you. That's how valuable you are. It's called tough love. You know this as a parent. If you gave your kids everything that they asked for, they'd be dead. And God says, how valuable you are to me that I will give you only what you need. I will lavish upon you grace and abundance and blessings and an abundance of righteousness because I love you. And if that's the case, you don't need to worry because I've got your back. The flying rats don't worry because they know I've got their back. I've got your back. So don't worry. Don't worry. Verse 27 and to 33, let's read that bit as well. Consider the lilies, uh, how the lilies grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's saying here that you're not going to be lacking. I don't know about you, but I always tend to feel that I have to wrestle blessings from God. Maybe if I pray right, maybe if I sing right, maybe if I read right then God will give me stuff. But it says here that for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you know that the very character of God is that he loves to give? He loves to pour out. It's just what he does. It's what he buzzes off. It's no surprise, is it, that some of you as parents, you know this at Christmas time, you love to give to your kids. Where do you think you got that? You didn't make that up. It's an echo of God who loves to abundantly give out to his people he only holds back when it's going to kill us it is his character to give so why not come near him verse 33 to 34 sell your possessions and give to the poor provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you see that? He's saying that actually, if you really believe this, if your God is your treasure, if he's the one who gives you significance, if he's the one who you go to to say, I'm alright with you, if he's the one who secures you both now and for eternity, if he's the one who does that, then suddenly your stuff hasn't got that level of control on you. In fact, your stuff becomes a resource for you to use so you can be like him. And this will be the test. When something like that comes up, sell your possessions and give to the poor. If you're saying, I'm really angry with Jesus for writing that because I want my stuff, then can I tell you, you've missed the point. Jesus' assumption is that when you have been a recipient of his grace, not know about it, but been a recipient of it, and you've tasted his generosity towards you, the thing that is common sense to you is to want to be the same. You can't help yourself. It's, it, it's a grace effect. It just affects
actually, so you, you want to be like that. And in fact, and we'll see this next week a little bit more, that when you meet Jesus, you suddenly move from a heart that is being greedy and it starts to change. It's an initial, but it keeps on changing, I suppose. It's, you know, it's, it's not a one-time thing, but it is a one-time thing, and then a gradual, ongoing thing. Is, your heart changes so that you go from being greedy and trying to gather to being generous and trying to pass out, pass it out. And the mark that we as a church have got this is that this community will see us as individuals and corporately together being so generous with our time, with our affection and our money that they'll look at us, the door drop open and go, what? How is it they can be like this? We will be so generous that the only way they can explain it is they're able to say, well, it's because they've been with Jesus. That's the only way to explain it. And my difficulty is that there have been plenty of times when I've used my stuff for all manner of things. And it's been so disappointing. So I've given out and I've bought that and I've got regrets. Can I tell you that there have been plenty of times as well when I've given generously, maybe to the Lord's work, maybe to the preacher of the word, maybe to somebody down the street who needed some help. I've got no regrets about that. I can't think of a single time I've given and feel regrets. Okay, Steve. How do we do it? What do we do? How are we going to move forward? Well, it's there in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you, where's your treasure today? Has grief snuck up on you? Crept over you and is it robbing you? Have you been fooled? Is your heart trapped in worry and fear? Then you need to realise where God's heart is. Look. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is the same with God. Look at this and get a window into what God is like. Remember, what I treasure, what is precious to me, when I set my heart on something, I will be single-minded, do anything to get it, suffer, sacrifice and pay a great cost. That's how I know what my treasure is. And that's how you know what God's treasure is. What is it that God has treasured? What has he set his heart on? What has he been single-mindedly? What has he moved from place to place? Even put himself through a total nightmare. Suffered, sacrificed. What is it that God treasures? And as you read through this gospel of the book of Luke, you see that Jesus is staring into the face of people who are messed up because he treasures them. What does God treasure? You lot. Me. He would pay the ultimate price. He would put himself into poverty. He would step into a world that hates him. He would become poor. He would have a manual work, um, worker's job. He'd be a labourer, a carpenter. He would grow up to be a man who had no palaces, though he was the king of glory. He would have to borrow stuff. He treks into Jerusalem on a donkey. He can't even afford his own coffin. He has to borrow a tomb. He would become poor. And then he would go to a cross. And pay the penalty for us robbing God and robbing God's purposes and robbing other people and being greedy. And he would die to release us from the consequence of that and slavery to it now so that we are left in no doubt, no doubt, no doubt that he treasures us. And when that hits you, do you want to go back to all those other treasures? Do you want a lipstick on a car? You want him, don't you? You want him. You see, anything else you treasure will ask you to sacrifice for it. It will say to you, but you know, if it's money, it's beauty, it's safety, it's stuff, it will say to you, sacrifice so you can have me. It will ask your life of you. But Jesus is the only treasure that says, I don't ask you to die for me to get me. I will die for you so that you can have me, so that you can be rich beyond your wildest dreams. You can be richer than a billionaire. You can have the riches of God at the centre of your heart and your life and be free forever. Listen. I know that stuff sneaks up on us. And I know that some of you are in trouble. And some of you are in trouble because stuff has snuck upon you. Maybe it was a bill you weren't expecting. Maybe it was a family situation that has crippled you. Maybe it was 
just one of those rainy days and it kept on raining. And I realise that happens. But I also realise that in this room there's plenty of us who are in trouble, not because something snuck up on us, but because when we didn't have the money we said we needed that dress, or when we didn't have the money we said we'd take that loan for the car, or because we said, actually, if I get that, I'll feel better about myself. And it's got a power over us, and it's gripping us, and it's snuck up on us, and we're like, can I get my life back? And the Lord says, yeah. He says, come and seek me first, and my kingdom and my righteousness, and all things will be given to you. The second you put your hope in Jesus, other things get relegated, you get your life back. Some of you need to come and speak to me or one of the other church leaders and say, Steve, I'm stuck in this. Can you help me plot a way through? Because my, my greed and my worry is blinding me. And we'll do that. In fact, if you're in a situation like that, Kosh is over there, he's, he's the elder responsible for finance and he helps, uh, and Matt is the treasurer, and, and they'll be able to come up with ways in which we can help and get alongside you and encourage you in that. But for some of us here, we've just got to say, Lord, I have treasured stuff more than you, and it's killing me. Please, Lord, come near. Be my treasure. Be my hope. Be the one who delivers me out of it. Please, Lord, make me that generous person. Loosen my grip on stuff here because I've got my hope in you. Lord, I came for a blessing today, but I want to walk away with the blesser. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you want us to be free. We want you, Lord, please, in the name of Jesus, to forgive us for the ways in which we get ourselves so entangled and trapped in the stuff here. The lies that we believe. Oh, Lord, help us and deliver us. It's so hard. This thing is so clamped around us and sometimes throttling us. We pray, Lord, that we would become what you have always meant us to be, but we claim your promise that we can only do it with you. So please, Lord, come in, forgive us, turn our eyes towards you, be the treasure, be our precious, be our hope, be at the centre. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. We thank you that when people walked away from Jesus that day, burdens were lifted, anxieties were lessened, and hope was restored. Please, Lord, do that in us today, we ask. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.